Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits and today I am talking to my old mucker, Craig Johnson. Hi Craig. Hello Emma, <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> really lovely to see you too. Um, paint us a picture of where you are please. I am in my lovely home in Lodgeven in deepest West Cornwall, so just outside Penzance and I'm at home in my living room. Lovely. It's lovely. And have you furnished yourself with a cup of tea and a biscuit? Yes, I've actually got a cup of coffee. Oh, oh no, I'm breaking the rules, but it's in my Dalek mug. <laughs> I've actually got a cup of coffee and I have got a biscuit. It's a Choco Leibniz biscuit. Oh, what? Do you know these? No. They're great. They're sort of, it's like a digestive biscuit. I'm holding it up here for empty with chocolate on the top. I like them very much, but I have to say, if I could have my ultimate dream biscuit at the moment and I didn't go out and get any it would be a probably a Viennese finger <laughs> <laughs> shortbread with chocolate on the ends do you know what I mean I know because I love shortbread and I love so anything with chocolate yeah <laughs> that's me <laughs> oh it's so good to see you um so yeah. we're sort of rounding out of lockdown now but we're still in it a yeah. little bit so tell me what are the headlines how's your lockdown been well I was thinking that we've had three haven't we <laughs> yeah. so the first lockdown, I think, like a lot of people, was like a sort of a weird dreamlike state that fluctuated between sort of existential panic that we all probably had and and a weird sort of serenity. And because where I live, you know, I, li- I live in a small village in the countryside, it was actually quite idyllic. We did lots of gardening and I went for loads of walks and spent lots and lots of time with the family. So it's that strange thing where on one hand it was lovely, on the other hand it was terrifying thinking about all the things that was going on. And um, and then, but now by lockdown three, I'm like, again, like most of us, I'm just ready to get on with stuff and, you know, get out there, see people again. I know, I've done as much sort of moving of furniture in my home as I can muster. I've cleared out every cupboard. I'm done, I'm done. I'm not that interested in my house anymore. No, no, I want to see something else now, yeah. (laughs) Oh, so me and Craig, we go back a very long time and we met as performers, didn't we? But can you tell me what year we would have met in? When Well, I I was thinking about this because I actually met you. The first thing we did was Wolf, which was the year 2000, wasn't it? And... But I think we met before that, but it was before I actually got involved with Knee High, I was one of these people that was sort of on the periphery, making myself available all the time. <laughs> I was sort of volunteering, I was doing stuff, and I was in various bands and comedy bands and things. So I remember my legendary band, Screw Like a Pig, <laughs> played at a Knee High party. <laughs> um, I think it might have been The Itch. We came and played after one of your shows 
it's all a bit of a blur. But basically, I was there on the periphery, sort of trying to to get to know you. And um, and but Wolf was the first. It was two thousand, wasn't it? Wolf. Well, I've was it know, my brain's gone now. Yeah, that, that makes. Sense. I think it was. Yeah, the year two thousand. But the reason I got involved with that was because of Mike. He's he sort of gradually I'd seeped into his consciousness somehow. He'd seen me doing various little things and just sort of gave me a chance. Rang, you know, rang really me up. enough now that we, that, of course, you were in your legendary band Squeal Like a Pig and yeah. Squeal Like a Pig, you had a pig <laughs> puppet that you animated, didn't you? you yes. Pigs. <laughs> and then the show that we made was all about pigs. Yes. So I feel that Mike didn't, he didn't make a very big leap, did he? He just went pig, pig. He just went pigs. <laughs> I know a bloke who animates a pig. I know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I oh. became a pig, yeah, in the show. But anyway, we'll go back over that in a bit, but we have carried on working together as performers and then with me as a director. Yeah. You're also a director and you make your own work and you're a musician. So we've got loads to talk about. Yes, and yes. And we've got an adventure coming up. But before we get onto all of those things, um, tell us what your first music choice is and why. Well, I'll try not to go on about <laughs> the origin of this too long, but this is very nostalgic for me because... In the sort of early 90s, there was this real sort of interest and resurgence in world music. And there was people like Peter Gabriel and Paul Simon, all these people that were sort of trying to bring music from other cultures, you know, to, and lots of people hadn't heard music like that. And one of these people was my, one of my great heroes, David Byrne from Talking Heads. And he sort of curated these albums in the early 90s of music from Brazil and it's popular music from Brazil but it was it wasn't really known outside Brazil so this track I've chosen is from an album called O Samba and it's a collection of samba music and it also I thought it ties in with the fact that around that time it felt, felt like everyone was in samba bands do you remember and Niha you worked with who was it in a sense in a it? sense from Manchester it felt like we had to get samba and Latin music into all the shows it's like everyone was a bit obsessed with it and I remember sort of being in various amateur samba bands in Cornwall that were probably weren't very good but we thought we were amazing at the time anyway and then cut a long story short in 2008 or 9 was it we took Cymbeline to South America and I and suddenly I was in Brazil we went to Sao Paulo in Brazil and we went to Bogota in Colombia and suddenly there I was in the world of this beautiful Latin music and I took this album this David Byrne compilation album with me and I think it must have been on a CD player because we wouldn't have had musical phones at that point in the old days and I remember walking around Sao Paulo listening. So it really could have been any track from this album. But this is, I think it's a singer called Alcyon and it's Ole Camara and I just love it. Abre a roda malungo, abre a roda malungo, abre a roda malungo, olere camara. Se a tristeza é bulideira, tá 
pensando em pelejar Do meu arco de madeira Quero ver quem vai zombar Abre a roda, malungo Abre a roda, malungo Abre a roda, malungo Olerê, camará Olerê, camará Abre a roda, malungo Abre a roda, malungo Abre a roda, malungo Olerê, camará Olerê, camará Foi pastinha na ribeira Que ensinou Lembranceira que consiga me laçar Se me vem uma tristeira Ponho a fé em Oxalá Levo o pau na focinheira Deixo a dor de amor pra lá Ixi Maria Abre a roda maluco Abre a roda malungo Abre a roda malungo Olerê camará Olerê some sunshine into this oh it's April just day. wonderful yeah <laughs> exuberant wonderful joy and as you say that's in honor of all the many samba bands in cornwall <laughs> <laughs> yes. and it was brilliant on it to go to brazil to sao paulo and actually see and hear real brilliant musicians playing <laughs> for a change so I'm going to take us back to that first show we did. So yes. you tell me it's the year 2000. That makes sense to me. Um, yeah. And it was a village hall tour that was created and led by the master anarchist Michael Shepard. Yes, <laughs> and he legend. You, me and Carl Gross. Yes. Um, together as three pigs, which I think he thought was funny because all of us are of this substantial body yes. type, I would say. Yes. None of us are waifs. We're not featherweights, are we? No, no, no. And he seemed to find that hilarious that we were the yeah. three pigs. And he, we, we sewed together three stories, which were the three little pigs, the boy who cried wolf, and yes. um, Little Red Riding Hood, which had a wolf. Yeah. Oh, so, in fact, it's wolves that went all the way through, not pigs. But anyway, we the wolf, framing yeah. device was us three pigs, wasn't it? Yes. And, and it, it was mayhem. Go on. It was absolute mayhem, wasn't it? Describe well, it was an ab- it was an absolute joy. As I say, it was my first show with knee high, and I couldn't believe it. When I mean, it was brilliant, Mike. You sort of changed my life in that way. Just to have that faith to say, I'm going to cast it person that I've seen doing these weird puppets and you know music and things like that in this show. Um, so I remember 
that first day stopping at the services at Truro and picking up Carl. Never met Carl before. Uh, got to the Barnes and we just, it was only like two weeks, was it three weeks rehearsal? And we just, it was the three of us and Mike and we laughed and laughed. I think we all, I just felt at home. I just felt like I'd sort of found a family, found people that shared my humour and, you know, I, it, it was absolutely wonderful. And we created this mad story framed with us three as these three little pigs. We started off running into the hall, didn't we? We ran, it was all in the round. We'd run into the hall and tell everyone to shut the doors and bar the doors because the wolf was outside. And then we'd tell these various stories. Do you remember the... um? the sausages like going through the grinder and everything like that and then Carl trying to give the kiss of life to a sausage oh brilliant and there, and there was well it had a classic it had everything you also had a classic sort of almost pantomime um, baking routine with eggs yes with the eggs on the uh, the eggs on the I think we cracked eggs on Carl's head didn't yes. we Oh, it was we wonderful. You played the lights wall. as well. We had to um, operate yeah. the lights as we ran round. We had to touch yeah. the pedal with our feet to change the lights. We had smoke machines. Yeah. We filled the village hall with smoke. Yeah. And like you say, my biggest memory of it, I do not think I've laughed as much before or since in my life. I mean, we learned no. from the beginning to the end of the tour, didn't we? Was, yeah. So did the audience. I Sometimes I get asked what my favourite show is. And I always say, do you mean to perform in or to direct? And when people say to perform in, I'd always say Wolf because it was like being on drugs. It was. It was theatre drug, yeah. It was so, and we were just, it, it was like skateboarding. There was no solidity. We had no backup. It was just the three of us idiots. In yeah. Japan. I mean, God, I don't yeah. know how we did it. I don't know how we put the lighting rig up. No, I don't know how we did it. And the fact you're right, you, we'd have to run around and as we <laughs> ran past in the scene, you'd have to like hit the light switch with your foot to change the lights. It was absolutely, and it was in the round, so there was no escape. You were vi- you know, visible the whole time, so we had to work with that. But the show was absolutely joyful. I also played, you played the wolf, I played, I also got to play Dolph the woodcutter, who's one of my favourite characters ever. <laughs> uh, a wolfcutter from the Netherlands. <laughs> and I actually came in and said, I'm from the Netherlands. <laughs> oh, people seem to find it. Was, with Lederhosen. It was so, so funny. And, um, mm. and we, it had several iterations, but I also used to corpse because well, yes. we can't talk about this without talking about the fact that you and Carl just hit it off didn't you know we all hit it off I'm, i don't want to put we myself did. as the victim here but you and carl became immediate best friends forever didn't you and I kind, of, I kind of hung on in there as a sort of enjoyable oh. sidekick but ultimately it was the big love affair which has lasted decades lasted this very day but yeah. you were so funny the two of you just your humor just you just met each other and got each other and amused each other so brilliantly for yeah. months yeah and to just be witness to that and part of it was so joyful but it did mean that i was very undisciplined and i did yes. corpse and you used to get cross with me didn't you craig oh i did there was one moment <laughs> i remember i got really cross with you tonight <laughs> You wouldn't speak I could, to me. I wouldn't, and I think during the bow, during the curtain call, I was like, really, I wouldn't. It was really weird. I don't know what it was. I mean, not that I'm the most professional person when it comes to corpsing, but no, I'd it, corpse. I'd, I'd corpse badly. I think it was fair enough. I'd properly lost it. 
I was trying to sexually yeah. assault Carl Gross, and I think yes. I think there was a burp involved, and I think it was as simple as that. I lost it. Whatever yeah. thread was holding me together broke, and you could. But it's a funny thing with corp <laughs> with corpsing. If you're involved in the corpsing, it's the best thing ever. But if other people are corpsing and you're not quite in it, <laughs> then suddenly you become really, really professional. It's like, oh, for goodness' sake, everyone! How dare you? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I was probably jealous that I wasn't involved but, in it from right, that moment. The reality is, I was losing. I was losing my relationship with acting. I was right. never quite involved, I don't think, when I look back on it mm. and when I think of how I am as a director. And I I almost laugh now at actors. I think, I wonder how they can just sort of stick in it like that, you know, because it. <laughs> my, I, I think I was on, I think I was had one foot outside and yeah. you didn't, you know, you were you were in it and I was being very badly behaved. Simple as that. You'd you'd started directing, hadn't you? You'd done the yeah. red shoes and the itch by that point. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. So I was, I was between the two camps and... Yeah, but <laughs> but you two were funny. I just want to say, in my defence, there are mm. I don't know two funnier people on the planet. And, oh, you're very kind. And it was and very hard to be serious with you two on yeah. stage with me. I've done honestly all the shows I've done with Carl have been utter corpse fest, and you know you get to that that point in the show where you something makes you laugh and you know it's coming up. And you know that the way they say a certain line is going to make you laugh and you already start going for even, <laughs> even. We did a show, um, another show, a knee-high show called Skullduggery, another of the sort of weird village hall shows, completely lost in the mists of time. And at one point, Carl had to turn to me and offer me a sausage roll. And all he would say was, a sausage roll. And he just, every, and he got to the point where he just said it in a weirder and weirder way every night and I, it would lead up to it. But anyway, but Wolf was absolutely wonderful and all, I, I just was in heaven the whole time because I couldn't believe I was in the Knee High show because I'd watched Knee High for years and suddenly I was in this show <laughs> and it was just, I was giddy the whole time and it was lovely. But yeah, it was lovely meeting Kai. It was lovely meeting you as well. I feel we were a wonderful little Thanks. team of the three of us <laughs> on our events in a van. Well, in honour of that, do you know what? Craig, I'm not sure yeah. whether this is the right thing, but I have worked, and Simon has worked, to find this, because I think this was in the pre-show, and we used to sing yes. along to it. Thank you very much, Si. Water, water, All day I've a barrel waste Without the taste of water
listen to him then. He's the devil of a man, and he spreads the burning sand with water. Water. And can you see that big green tree where the water's running free? And it's wind there for me and clear water. The nights are cool, and I'm a fool. Each star's a pool of water. It was so weird that appreciate it was all old cowboy songs, wasn't it? Yeah. Quite a random choice, but it just fitted. It had a sort of a melancholy loveliness that Yes. We used to sit there and go, water. Knowing the water. So I'm going to move us on in time. So I think I, I, well, I still didn't completely step out of performing, did I? Because we went on to make the legendary Tristan and Isabel. Yes, we did. Because you were in it, you were White Hands, weren't you, on the I first one? And that was, I mean, I didn't really mean to cast myself. I We couldn't afford <laughs> any more characters, any more actors. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I could be the storyteller and still take notes. So, in fact, in that first mm. iteration, I had a notebook, didn't I? You did. And You sat up on your little platform I did, with a notebook. Watched. It turned into a far superior part with somebody that was actually concentrating <laughs> <laughs> and could act. <laughs> Yeah. But I did do the first bit. But you played the amazing double of um, Morholt, um, who Holt, started yeah. life as a dragon, but we yes. we changed him into the king of... Um, I think we had an afternoon of Bill Mitchell with making stilts and working out how this giant creature would come in, because he was sort of like a monster in the original tale. Yeah. And then, I mean, there were several... I, you know, I've heard you talk about this on some of the on some of the other episodes, but the, it was that moment when it went from this sort of slightly legendary dragons and knights and things to the vision it ended up as, and suddenly it all started slotting to place, didn't it, with the love spotters and the characters in the sharp suits, and suddenly there was more hope. Suddenly became this Irish gangster with a cigar <laughs> coming, and I loved it. I really loved doing that. Part, yeah, and, and he, he he was really sinister, wasn't he? And was a yeah. match for Mike Shepard's King Mark. Yeah, I mean that was hard for me to go up against Mike as a you know those two characters. Uh, but I, I had to sort of bring a little bit of absurdity to him as well. He was a bit he was a bit of a, you know he was pompous and and he had his comeuppance. Uh, and then the other part I played was Brangy and the Maid, which yes. was. A brave bit of casting from you to to cast me as this, as the maid, and I absolutely loved it. And I feel like I feel I learned so much on that show. And I think because because Brad, so Brangin was a maid, so it was me in a dress, big man in a dress, funny. And I got to do comedy, you know, brilliant comedy scenes and improvise. And Brangin was this fantastic character where she just wanted to help her mistress and she was sort of secretly in love with Tristan 
And I remember we did part of your rehearsal process where it's almost like a hot seat, isn't it? The character will sort of be interviewed. And I remember you put me in oven gloves, so brangy, and you made me wear a big pair of oven gloves. And then you made me serve tea to everyone. And it was just encapsulated, it was a brilliant bit of, it encapsulated the character because I so desperately wanted to serve everyone tea and do it well. And yet I was wearing big oven gloves and I couldn't. And I was dropping everything, being clumsy and people were getting cross with me. And I just thought, oh, that was brilliant. That informed the character brilliantly. Um, and then we did, and I remember, I always remember this moment where in the, the second half of the show, Brangin has to take the place of result because she's having an affair with Tristan. And on her wedding night, she's no longer a virgin, so she can't go to King Mark's chamber. So she gets Brangy and the maid to take her place. And that was me and Anna Murphy had written this beautiful scene before and after. And I remember we sort of, you sent everyone out and it was, I think it was just you and me and Anna and you put sort of candles on and everything. And, and because I like, I like to be funny. I want to be a comic actor. And I remember you saying to me, fight against every instinct you have to make this funny just keep it really straight and and even though it's funny and even though the audience will be laughing because there's me and a nighty having had sex with King Mark just don't don't make it funny and uh, it was you know really hard to do but that moment in the performance was just sort of electric and I felt it was amazing doing it and having the audience tittering and chuckling, thinking, oh, there's the funny the funny maid, the funny man in the dress, and then it would just sort of fall to silence because it was tragic. It was a really, you know, tragic scene. It was I absolutely loved. It was yeah. heartbreaking. <clears throat> and you're right, it was a really unusual moment in the show because it, it was so much underscoring. It was so filmic. Mm. And actually, it was one of the rare moments of silence when everything was stripped away. And it was mm. you, and you performed it so beautifully, and all of everybody's preconceptions, everything melted. Nobody was looking mm. at you like a man in a dress; they were just seeing Brangian. Yeah. And um, but I, I pushed you even further because I made you mm. wipe yourself after sex because you it was did. a bear of me that people had sex on TV and film, and it, they didn't deal with any of the physicality of it. Yes. And I really wanted to, as we were changing the tone of it, I wanted you to turn around and give yourself a small wash stroke wipe. And you yeah. hated doing this because sometimes people would heckle you. Yeah. And I would say, and in fact, and in fact, I once said, what's going on, Craig? You've got a ginger fanny wipe. <laughs> yes, ginger fanny wipe became... Favourite note. The fanny, yeah. <laughs> but, but didn't somebody heckle you once? Well, it was... It was a brilliant moment in, um, it was at the West Yorkshire Playhouse. And, you know, already you're sort of telling the audience to, you know, they think, okay, this isn't funny. Or this is quite tragic. Or, so they're already, all these things are going through their mind. And at that moment, I turn up stage and I get my flannel and I give myself this wipe between the legs. And there was just this voice from the front row. This man just went, oh, God, no. <laughs> like, it was just, it was more than he could handle. It was more than his brain could compute. Oh, God, no. <laughs> and, uh, yes. And also, I'd have to turn up stage at that point and see all the Giles and all the love supporters looking at me like that with this look on their in their eyes, yeah. But it was when we as a team were at our absolute best 
because yeah. we were turning ourselves inside out and upside down and we were turning the audience yeah. inside out and upside down yeah. just with our sheer will saying no we've made you laugh we've made you want to dance and now we're going to take you somewhere really tricky yeah. and really tricky and they they did go with us it was they amazing. did go with it and i still to this day have people come up to me and say i'll never forget that moment in Tristan Zolt when you played Brangian in that second half and I was had tears running down my face and I'm just like it really worked it really got people and it was just a really sort of brave bit of directing from you and you know and we all sort of yeah I wasn't sure about it but I went with it and then I absolutely loved doing it it was a very sort of powerful you know bit of yeah. Well, before we play a memory from um, Tristan Isol, I also want to have another thing that makes me laugh years, years yes. later, which is that in the original one, it was a very high stage and we had a little trampette that used to yes. jump onto and jump up like double footed, like a like a hare. And it was yeah. very, very funny. And your lovely mum yeah. thought she you didn't have a trampoline, just thought that you had <laughs> she a He was sat in the audience and the trampoline was sort of hidden. And for the whole show, she thought I was springing up onto the stage with this sort of supernatural ability. And after the show, she said, Craig, I never knew you were so athletic. It was amazing. I said, I had a trampoline. Oh, did you? Oh, (laughs) she was like slightly disappointed. She thought she'd spawned this like superhuman. Another mum, look at me. You know what I Anyway, yeah, it's very funny. Oh, so in honour of all of those marvellous memories, we've managed to find a sort of bootleg recording of Wild Nights. We think it's Carly Borden. We're not sure when it was recorded. Um, Lyrics by Emily Dickinson, music by Stu Barker, vocals by Carly Borden, Wild Nights.
<laughs> and there was this double love scene, wasn't there? There was Tristan in the Zold doing these incredible acrobatics, love making upstairs, and then behind them there's me and Mike Shepherd as King Mark. Oh, it was so. I mean, again, it was very moving and very beautiful. But that was a, that was a moment of trying hard not to corpse as Mike approached me, and he'd say, "All right, I'm coming in." Here I <laughs> You did really well, you know. I mean, I've watched that show hundreds of times, and in fact, I never saw you visibly um, under, you know, underplay that. You know, I thought you always delivered what was needed. Yeah, I love the brave fellas. Yeah, and it was lovely, master seducing me. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful memory. So we went on. You played. um, You. Lotten, the baddie in Cymbeline. Yes, in Cymbeline. But I thought we should talk about Don John. Yes. And the reason I like to talk about Don John is because it was sort of the the, the lost show. I feel that yeah. we made this amazing show that was ahead of its time. Um, yeah. And for lots of reasons, it never had a second life. And I no. think sort of one of the pieces of work I'm most proud of. And you played Derek the Vicar. Derek the Vicar. I know. Again, I, I mean, all the shows I did with you, I absolutely love. Don John, we felt we were doing something so brave and so different, and it really didn't feel like it that people got it when it's like, this is, don't you realise how good this is? And the set was amazing that it we had done, you know, it was all set in the sort of 70s, wasn't it? The late 70s, so the fashion, the brilliant music, um, and I played Derek the Vicar and <laughs> was married to Nina um what's this Nina oh I can't remember her Philip- Icelandic long dot here Philip yes her, I, yeah dog Philip's dot here yes and she was absolutely fantastic do you remember that moment when she had to seduce me or something and I, I had a, a sort of a fit of a lack of confidence and she and I and I, I think I had to leave the room I sort of couldn't quite take it anymore you know it was a, and I left the room and I was still holding my cup of tea trying to sort of get my you know get myself together I and I think and she up Craig I was going to leave that to you but she we were in rehearsals and it was a clash of cultures because Nina's yeah a world class classical oh, actor amazing phenomenal. amazing yeah. And you are the Cornish musician, improviser, yeah. comedian, and she she took off all her clothes, didn't she? She took off her clothes. I think she, she it was after she'd been uh, assaulted by the Don John character or something, and I come and find her, and she was all dishevelled. And it was all, you know, there, there's those, I mean, one of your brilliant skills, Emma, is that you, you see people's strengths and let them play to their strengths, but you'll also push people. And I felt there was lots of times when you sort of pushed me into moments of performance that I wasn't comfortable with. I just want to be funny. 
and occasionally you, you'd push me into these things where I had to be more than that. And this was one of those moments when I thought, I can't do this, I'm a, I'm a fraud, I can't do this. And lovely Nina, trying to help, said, would it help if I <laughs> took my clothes off? And I'm like, no, I really wouldn't. <laughs> That's like the very opposite of what I need at the moment. Is and you to... did. You had to leave the room and that almost I... never happens. And I went out and you were still holding your teacup and it was... I still had my cup. Yes, but I was, was frozen. Funny, and I was, that was when I had to knock corpse as well because I really... You looked so English. Yeah. And of course, the scene had been so English, actually. You know, Nina and yeah. amazing Icelandic yeah. bravery and us rather pedestrian English people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you were absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I felt like you really held on to, you know, your character was based on the character in the opera, Ottavio, who is staying celibate for his for his beloved and we, yeah. we cast you as a vicar to make sense of that and a very gentle man and you brought lots of beautiful humour but, but also beautiful layers of truth to a very simple slightly frightened man I always remember he always put his sunglasses on upside down yes things there's that bit where he, he was trying to summon up his courage yeah put the sunglasses on upside down oh. but I did love it I loved the whole experience of Don John and it, oh, and we took. I mean, we did take it all over the place. We took that to America. But we didn't did. We? But we only did the one. Tour. And they loved, we never remade it. Yeah. And, I mean, it was a big cast. We had Seascape with us as dancers. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And just imagine if the Me Too moment had already happened. It would have just landed. Yeah. You know, I just think we were ahead of the time. Ahead of yeah. the time, and and right at the edge of our own abilities. You know, I'm sure it could be better, but we were really pushing ourselves. I was pushing myself as a director. Mm. Um, Anna was pushing herself as a writer you know we were right at the edge of our abilities mm. but I remember really clearly the beginning you opened the show and I feel yes. like it, it it sort of really set the tone in such a profound way and you were the vicar you played the organ facing away mm. from us mm. I remember I uh, when we were at the RSC one of their staff directors came in and said I wonder if you had if you had the um, the actor facing forwards at the beginning, people would see his face. And I said, you know what? I think I've worked that out. <laughs> yes, if you hadn't thought of that. Oh, what a good idea. Great, no. I said, I think I yeah. want him to be facing away. You were facing away, playing the organ with an empty church. We had those plastic bucket mm. chairs. And um, you did a sermon to an empty church. And it makes me want to cry yes. thinking about it. You started with a brilliant gag. Do you remember it? No, what was it? You say you wrote it. Welcome to the C H blank blank C H. What's oh, yes. missing? Missing you are. you are. Yes. Church. Oh my God. I yeah. loved it, and it was so. And he talks about all the people he couldn't save, the famine, the the floods. Yeah. Um, really setting the tone of sort of global catastrophe with this beautiful man. Um. Try holding all the sorrows of the world and I, I love you for that Craig because you landed a gag and also oh. absolutely held the heart and soul of that show in that opening oh thank you I actually nearly I, I was thinking about that and I nearly chose that because it was on a night like this was the tune wasn't it which and it, again that was one of those moments where I thought I can't believe I have to I was the first person that had to walk out and say this and then sit at the organ and then play one of Stu Barker's beautiful but very difficult tunes and sing it oh god it was nerve wracking every night but 
yeah, what a joy to do. Well, you're in luck because that's our next music choice on a night like this, hey. written by Stu Barker, sung by Dom Lawton. On a night like this, the dead wish they were away when only fools are walking. Shot of bravery before you wander home. Another glass of stay with me before you leave alone. Another night of broken dreams before the dark has flown. The street lights flicker like dreamers. On a sings it much better than I ever did <laughs> but what a beautiful song that this the whole show had that oh sad melancholy yearning it was just oh it's absolutely brilliant show I loved it me too and that had lyrics by Anna Murphy and I think we could hear Mary Wood Woodfine on vocals there yes yeah Mary Woodfine so I'm very pleased to reminisce about that. I, if I could go back in time, nobody ever asked me that, but if I could go back to a show, that's probably the show that I would choose to see because it's the show I've seen least, I think. 
Right, yeah. So many of the shows came back, you know, Tristan Izzel is in my... Uh, I'll die thinking about Tristan and Izzel. But don't yeah. on, I feel like I have to sort of hold on to it because it sort of came and went in a period of time. Yeah, and it was a strange... I just remember the whole process being quite dreamlike and we were at the RSC, weren't we? We, yeah. we, opened, we opened it at the RSC and it was a really cold winter and I just remember us all sort of freezing cold and huddled up and... Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely love that show. And I don't know if you're going to mention it, but I want to mention The Back Eye as well. Oh, come we, on, the back, yes. that, was the other, that was the other show I did. I Well, I've done many shows with you, but that was a, another big show that I, I absolutely loved, where you had me and all the knee-high male duffers all in tutus playing the women of Thebes. Oh, and that was actually fantastic. <laughs> and you made us all shave our heads. Yeah. Because you love seeing someone with a shaved head, and I didn't want to do it. And I remember you saying to me, listen, Craig, everyone looks cool with a shaved head. Everyone looks cool with it. And you shaved my head and went, oh, dear. Well, maybe not you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, you've done it now. And suddenly my weird egg-shaped head oh, was revealed. I can't believe I said that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I do like the yeah. let's put it that way. Um, I, yeah, my I look, memory of I that, I mean, I feel slightly bad about that now because times have changed and now I would not dare cast the women as men. I wouldn't. Mm. The, the political times have changed to take those parts away from women. Um, yeah. yeah, at the time, we were, we were an ensemble and it was mostly men because women couldn't, lots of the women weren't touring in the same way. Mm. Um, anyway, we did, and it was amazing. And the thing that I remember most about that is at one point I made you put tubes on your head um, yeah. and they, when they were wild, like newspaper cones that were almost pagan. And you no, nobody was making any noise. I couldn't believe it. And I kept saying, more, louder, I can't hear you. We don't have radio mics or anything <laughs> at that point. And I think, I don't know if it was Charlie Barnaker or Mike, and he said, it's because we've got our heads in fucking tubes. <laughs> yeah, we were all <laughs> screaming our heads off. <laughs> no one could hear us inside these paper tubes. Busting yeah. your own eardrums with your volume. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, it was great, wasn't it? The whole set was news. Everything was newspaper. Yeah. God, brilliant. Oh, maybe I want to go back in time to see that one. Yeah. With um, the wonderful Eva Magyar. Oh. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Um, but I want to talk about your work because mm. you are an amazing um, theatre maker in your own right and I'm going to surprise you with my next music choice because we might not listen to it all because it hasn't got the best tune ever but yeah. it will remind you of something. is Bernard Herrmann's Journey to the Centre of the Earth theme. Yes! I was going to say Journey to the Centre of the Earth. Amazing. That was a show I directed yeah, for Nehi. Yeah, so you came and you directed a show for Nehi. Yeah. It, it was a small-scale village hall show. I mean, that was a brilliant thing with Nehi. We had these fantastic big shows, but then there was this sort of, you know, this circuit, small-scale village hall show, and we'd go around do all the rural touring. And I got the chance to direct it, and gosh, it was 
scary. I think I directed it. I took on far too much. I directed it, I wrote it, and then I was in it as well. And I feel that while that was going on, another big show was happening at the same time, and I can't remember what show it was. So I, I was sort of left to my own devices, you know, a lot of the time, um, for better or for worse. But I loved it. Um, it was... And it had shadow. We had this really a far too elaborate set that was built for the small village hall tour. Me and Simon Harvey, Faye Powell Thomas, again, just the three of us doing all the light. Oh, actually, we did have a technician. I think we actually had a technician for that one. Ooh. It was adaptation of Journey Center Earth, yes. My <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I feel you know that was when you were coming to your own as a theatre maker and making your own shows yeah. with and it. But it combined lots of things that I associate with you: puppetry mm. and science yeah. and kind of nerdery. You have a great yeah. curiosity for the world and the planet, yeah. and science and evolution, yeah. don't you? I, I love do. you. You yes. have an atheist tattoo, which I love you very, very. I have an much atheist for. tattoo, which I actually got on my 40th birthday while we were doing Don John. There you go. That must have been 2009. Anyway, yes, I have an atheist tattoo (laughs) because I believe in science and rationalism and and humanity and love, you know, all the things that come from being a a, a good human. And, um, yeah, and I now have got my own little company called Squashbox Theatre, I say it's a theatre company, it's me. It's me, see, I am Squashbox Theatre. Um, and, I, and I produce shows for families and children. And yeah, and each one is sort of based on a theme. The first one I did was all about the sea, but I've done one all about space and one about dinosaurs, one about animals and evolution. There's a whole song about evolution in it, which I'm very proud to sing when I go into schools and things. And um, yeah, and I actually started working on those things when we were doing a matter of life and death in london another amazing show 2007 and i remember thinking i I want i want something to do when i'm not on tour with knee high to sort of something local that i could do and i started devising this idea and it was partly because i had yeah i still have children but at the time they were very young and i remember seeing so much bad children's theater that was twee and patronizing and I thought, you know, I want to use all the things I've learned from Nehi to be a bit anarchic and a bit subversive and a bit naughty and to do shows that children will enjoy but might stretch them a bit and might have things that they don't quite understand <clears throat> and, and humour that works for children and adults as well. You know, not that sort of those shows where there's jokes for the grown-ups, but humour that, ev- that everyone enjoys that isn't, you know. And it, it's been... It's been great. I've been doing it now for, oh God, 14 years. And I've got about eight or nine shows that it's I do now. It's hugely successful. And you said you yeah. started it so you could have something to do when you're not working for Nehi, but you did went th- go through a period when you were too busy to work for Nehi. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Yeah. It, it, it has been brilliant. And and it's been great, it, you know, it's been great to sort of be, be my own boss and just going off on my own because it's completely me. And I just go off, uh, you know, and I do it. And I, and I, I've played many. It's funny. I've played many of the same theatres that we play as Nehi, but then I'm in like the little studio space as opposed to the. And what I, what I love is families and people that come along, and then you know afterwards might say, 
that was so much better than I was expecting. You know, <laughs> parents that come along because they feel they have to take their children and then they really enjoy it as well. And I think, oh, you know, because I, as a parent, I've done so much taking, <laughs> sitting there thinking, when's this going to be over? And it's so lovely to sort of be able to produce things the whole family can enjoy. So witty and universal and the comedy works on so many levels. You know, it's irresistible, irresistible. Yeah, thank you. Oh no, it's um, it's very exciting, and but I'm most excited that I'm going to get you into Wise Children because you are yes. part of the Wuthering Heights tour, and I'm very I excited am. to get you back I'm on so... stage and oh. have your improvisation and comedy skills in what is a brutal, brutal story. I suddenly mm. it, you were the missing piece for me. I suddenly thought that's what I need. I need Craig's warmth and gentle naughtiness to to give some warmth to this brutal world. And I can't oh, thank wait. you. I can't wait. We've been waiting for over a year now, so we're just sort of... I know. It's been... It feels like it's sort of been, you know, obviously because of the coronavirus and other things being delayed, but, oh, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm so excited. And um, Craig will be playing um, the important character of Mr Earnshaw, but the more exciting character of the worst doctor in Yorkshire. Worst doctor in Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to do that. It's another. It's another one of those things I tend to specialise in, isn't it? It's the well-meaning, the well-meaning buffoon. That's who really wants to get it right, and it's all going horribly wrong around him. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Can't wait. Um, when I started, actually, as you know, I'm not a great one for research, but when I did start looking into the Brontes, the, the thing that was overwhelming to me was how many people died. That everyone mm. was dying the whole time in their childhood. Mortality was off the scale, and people didn't really. I think 27 was the average life was the life expectancy in Haworth, and wow. it was because they didn't have correct drainage. They worked out what the problem was, but they didn't know at the time of um, Emily Bronte was writing that. So the thought of being a doctor in that town, I can't do yeah. anything worse. Want, yeah. <laughs> Fighting a losing battle, God, yeah. Oh, so oh, I can't yeah. wait for future adventures. Um, so Craig, you're going to play us out on um, one of the many ladies in your life. Yes, one of the many. I've had the great privilege, I think. I was thinking why I chose this, um, and it's partly it's going to be it's it's Blondie, it's Debbie Harry Blondie. I've always loved Blondie. I've always loved Debbie Harry, and I've had the great pleasure, privilege of working with amazing women, yourself included. You up there at the top do you know what I mean and I just think uh, you know it's a, it's a wonderful thing and also this reminds me I think it might have been during Don John when we because part of what you do in your rehearsal process that I love is that we don't on the first day we don't sit and read a script together do we we'll do some dancing or we'll learn the song or and, and I think you brought you told us all to bring along songs from that era or and I remember bringing this song along and getting obsessed with the fact that it's got the most perfect moment in pop music which is when she says baby uh, about one minute two seconds in the way Debbie Harry says the word baby is just it's the it's a moment of pop perfection for me Craig you're gonna you have to sing it because you've done it so many times how does it go baby (laughs) 
also got ten pounds on it. I said to Simon before we started recording, I said I I put ten pounds down, but Craig is going to go baby, baby, yeah. But she, yes. you, you you do like the ladies because Gwyneth Paltrow, you have a soft spot for her. I did well, you know, I've gone off for a bit now, but I did have a very big soft spot for Gwyneth Paltrow. You're right, Brit- Britney Spears. <laughs> Britney Spears, I've always loved Britney Spears, exactly. Britney. And, and Blondie, but I think I kind of, the minute I saw that you'd chosen Blondie, I knew it would be the baby. Baby. <laughs> it is a one minute, two seconds, the best moment in pop music ever. <laughs> well, before um, we play us out on the brilliant Blondie, can I say, Craig Johnson, you are quite the best company member, divisor and performer a director or an actor could wish for. You are curious and kind and so, so bloody funny. You light up a room with your humour and observational skills, but are also an extremely hard worker. I don't think I've known anyone craft comedy as carefully and rigorously as you do. You are full of life and full of love and full of music and intellect and I cannot wait to play with you again. Oh, Emma, that's so lovely. Thank you. Likewise, can't wait, can't wait. We shivers.
Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.